Hey, a couple things before we get into it. Uh, hard and heavy today. Um, some of you have been asking, and, and we, I know we've had a lot of guests at many of our campuses. We have an Abundant Life membership class this week on Tuesday. Um, that's February 19th, and uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. That's at 6 p.m. right here at the Durham campus. So Monday night crowd, Sunday crowd, anybody else in the movement who might be near here on um, Tuesday night. Did I say Monday earlier? Tuesday night. It's February 19th at 6 p.m. Love to have you. Free child care, all that kind of stuff. We have snacks. I talk about the history of the church, and we talk about what it means to be a member. We'd love to have you be involved in that. And then secondly, um, we've been encouraging you the last few weeks. I'm just going to take one more chance to say this. Um, this is a fantastic opportunity for you to get involved in a life group or a mid-size group. Now, the ultimate desire is to eventually have everybody in a life group in a home. But uh, if you're in that, great. If you want to get in that now, go ahead and get in that. Or we have a mid-sized group. And here's how you get involved. You just simply go to our church website, newhopechurch.org forward slash life groups. Um, and all the information is there. Also, you can take out your phone right now. It is not a sin to take out your phone in church. Despite what your mom, well, your mama might not have said that because when you were a kid, we didn't have cell phones. Some of you had cell phones when you were a kid. You can take out your, your cell phone and just text NH Life Groups to 59769. And if you want to be involved in a mid sized group, we're meeting here uh, Wednesday night, Wednesday night. Um, would love to have you be involved in that. I think that's at six o'clock. It's in your, your teaching notes and all that. Okay, so um, since we're about to embark on a journey together, I think it's important for me to tell you where we're going on this journey. If you're a guest here, so glad you are here. Um, one of the things you need to know about me is, is that I've not always been a pastor. Um, I, I, I haven't, uh, I wouldn't be the kind of person when I was young that you would think would be a pastor. Um, I know there's a DR in front of my name, but you're looking at someone who was once a high school dropout. And uh, we're starting a journey together today called Wrecked and Redeemed. And it is a study through the gospel of John. And so what I want to encourage you to do is every single Sunday, bring your Bibles, bring an old school Bible. If you don't have one, we'll give you one free. And because you know where we're going, you don't have to worry about that awkward moment when I mention a passage of scripture and you're like, I don't know if I can find that. You, you, you can already have the gospel of John marked. And we're actually going to study the gospel of John for the next eight weeks. So, so bring that with you. Um, we want to invite you to buy a book. It just was released. It's not even out in the public yet. It won't be in the public till April 21st, but it's my second book. It's titled Wrecked and Redeemed. And um, I don't know why, but I feel led to say this to you. Um, I want you to know that I am not getting one red penny from the sale of this book within the New Hope movement. I've decided that I'm gonna take all the profits from the book and I'm gonna put them in the New Hope general budget so that we can keep reaching people and teaching people for Jesus Christ in the years ahead. And I know that some of you disagree with that because you've already, you've let me know that. Why are you doing that? I, I don't know more than it's just a spirit-led thing. I think the spirit of God led me to do that, number one. Um, number two, just to be real honest with you, number two, um, you paid me to be your pastor when I wrote the book. And so for some reason, I just kind of, I, I, I know some pastors don't do it, and, and I'm not saying it's wrong at, by any means, but I just... I feel like it might, feels a little like double dipping, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, <laughs> you paid me while I was your pastor. I wrote the book. I want the profits uh, to go to New Hope Church. And then thirdly, and this is really important, it's your story and it's my story. This book is our story together. It's, it's what God did in my life as a prodigal and then what God did in your life and my life together in and through New Hope Church, all grounded in the gospel of John. So I'd rather take that $20,000, $25,000, whatever it's gonna end up being for the sales at all the campuses, and I'm gonna dump that right back in to New Hope Church. 
Let me tell you where we're going. Let, let me show you the, the table of contents, and I know most of you already have it. If you didn't pick it up last week, we sold out, but we got more, so there's more out there today. Um, you can spend time in the acknowledgments if you want, because there I talk about you. In the acknowledgments, I talk about how much I love this church and how honored I am to serve you as pastor. Introduction is kind of like what we're doing today, a little bit of an introduction to the series, a little bit of an introduction to my story. And then um, here are the chapters. Chapter one is gonna be John chapter one. We're gonna hit on some of that today. Love as both grace and truth. Not just grace, not just truth, but God is a God of grace and truth. The next week, I love, I love this, this is next Sunday, the life of the party. Some of you were convinced growing up that to be a Christian, you needed to be a sourpuss and look like you ate a sour onion sandwich for breakfast every day of your life, and you were taught that Christians were just mean people, <laughs> right? And I've always said, that is a bunch of baloney, that, that to be a Christian is to experience joy like there's no tomorrow, and then the truth is, the church should be showing the world how to throw good parties. Instead, come on now, instead of the world showing the church how to party. Right? Come on. Like there once was a song, I forgot who wrote it. Why, why, why should the devil have all the good music? Who wrote that? Does anybody remember that? That was a rock and roll song. Um, and like we decided a long time ago, the devil's not going to have all the good music, so we put it on the stage in church. Come on. Can you, can you thank our worship team? Because they are awesome. Then the next week, the main thing, chapter three, the next week, God as seeker, that's John chapter four. Go ahead and read these chapters as much as you can. Come as you are, John eight. That's that amazing passage of scripture where the woman was caught in adultery, remember? And they sling her before Jesus and they want Jesus to stone her to death or they want to stone her to death and they want Jesus to bless it. The message there is come as you are. We'll talk about that. One way to a redeemed life, unified diversity, we're going to talk about the diversity in our church. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, prayed for unity. Prayed that we would be one. Okay, so we'll talk about that. And then chapter 8, Easter Sunday, we're going to look at John 20 and John 21, the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to celebrate it because the resurrection changes everything. Come on now. So what I want you to do now is... Um, I brought, I brought my Bible that the chaplain gave me in jail. First Bible I've ever owned. First Bible I ever read. And I brought it today, and I want to read out of it. And I'm going to ask you if you would mind standing in honor of God's Word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, listen, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Listen closely. This is powerful. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Almighty God, would you bless us, your people? Would you speak to us through your holy word today? Would you take our minds and think through them, take our hearts and fill with them? Lord Jesus, take my lips today and speak through them. For if you do not speak, 
then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the reasons um, I'm convinced that, that we are so uh, excited about this series and we're dialed in, those of you who know my story, is because you're, you're eager um, to hear some of the hardcore, dark, um, evil, I'll just call it what it is, stories that made up my young, um, my young adult life, my older teenage years. You want to hear that? And I just want to say to you, listen, I'm going to share some of that, but I, it's not going to be sitting around here for eight weeks just talking about my story. Because here's what I want you to know from the very, very beginning. When it is all said and done, I don't want you enamored with Benji's story. I want you enamored and gripped with the story of Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus, yeah, you can, you can clap for Jesus because it's not about me. Without Jesus, listen, this boy is nothing. I've tried to live life without God and I made a wreck of it. It was evil, it was dark, it was jacked up. And so I'm not gonna share all the stories in the book. That's why there's a book, okay? And I'm not gonna regurgitate everything you read. I'm gonna share some of the stories that are in the book. I'm gonna share some stories on Sundays that are not in the book. But more than anything, I wanted to say on the front end, because if we're not careful, because you already have a tendency to kind of, you know, romanticize people like me. You already have a tendency to put people like me up on a pedestal. Listen, I put my pants on just like you. I am a mere man, but my heart's desire is spoken by John himself, which is a great verse. Why don't you read this out loud with me? Because this might be good for some of you to actually take to heart. He, Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. That's my heart's desire. In fact, we put scripture all over this church. Some of you know this, some of you don't. Before we laid the carpet down, after the concrete slab was done, hundreds, maybe a thousand back then. It was in 2009, so I can't quite remember. There's a lot of people. We came and we had, we had thousands of permanent markers, and we all wrote our favorite verses of Scripture on the concrete slab before we laid the carpet because we wanted this church grounded and founded on the Word of God. Can I get an amen? And at my office, when you walk into my office, this is the verse that I wrote underneath the carpet. He must become greater and I must become less. So we will keep the spotlight on Jesus because he is the only one who can change a life. He is the only one who can forgive sin. He is the only one who can give purpose and passion in life. And he is the only one who can carry you from this world into eternity forever with God. So today I want to introduce some things. There are going to be times where some of this might feel um, like a college class. It might feel like a seminary class. I won't, trust me, I won't make it painful. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to turn our church into a cemetery. I mean seminary, sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but you do know that I laid out on vision day that, that God, is, is God is changing us and we, we want to get more into the teach and discipleship areas of our church. So I need to just kind of unpack some things and I want you to become a student of the word. So bring the word every single week, open up the Bibles, uh, your Bibles to the gospel of John or take notes on your phone or your tablets or on your teaching notes. But here's what I saw in the first celebration and I see some actually now. Some of you are bringing your journals or notebooks to church. Great idea because you're not gonna have enough room to write on the back the stuff that I'm gonna do my best to teach you. Let's just talk about the Gospel of John first, okay? Let's talk about the author of the Gospel of John. The author of the Gospel of John, get ready, it's profound, is John. <laughs> um, the, the biblical writers didn't get too creative in naming their books. Um, but just so you know, this is the same John that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the John epistles in the New Testament. And it's also the same John that wrote the book of Revelation, okay? Authorship, okay? John, this, this is good. This is, this is, you gotta, you gotta learn to laugh at this kind of stuff. John as he wrote the Gospel of John, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Get you some of that. See, and you could think, well, that's body obnoxious and arrogant, but I actually like it. I mean, he had his identity down, right? Some of you came just for this today. 
You are, despite what people have tried to tell you, despite what your own voices tell you, you are a beloved child of the Most High God. He loves you. Even if you don't walk in his love, even if you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, he loves you. And I think John was giving us a little hint. We should all walk around as if we are the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Dating of John, the dating of John. John was written anywhere between the year 75 AD and 90 AD after the death of Christ. 75 to 90. It's the oldest of our four gospels. We have a fourfold gospel. They are what, church? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are typically clumped together as a group of gospels. They are called the synoptic gospels. Synoptic, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, synoptic gospel. They're called that, and that's not a biblical word, by the way. That's just a word that, that scholars in the church have started to refer to them because they are very much alike. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. The gospel of John is an entirely different kind of gospel. And we know that John was written between 75 and 90 AD because John is clearly writing after, you historians will know this fact, after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. John is writing after that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written much earlier before the destruction of the temple. In the synoptics, let me talk to you about some differences that you'll find. In the synoptics, Jesus' ministry is a one-year Galilean ministry. In other words, in, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you read it closely and you lay them side by side, which I've done, which is a fascinating thing, you can go buy, by the way, a Gospel Parallels. You can buy a Gospel Parallel book where it lays side by side by side Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a fascinating study. If you study Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's a one-year Galilean ministry. And some of you are like, but wait a minute. I've been told my whole life, Jesus lived 33 years. At the age of 30, he started his ministry, and he was engaged in three years of ministry. I see all your heads shaking. All of you heard that. You learned that. That comes from the gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell of a one-year Galilean ministry. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because they tell of him engaged in the Passover feast once in Jerusalem John, on the other hand, we find a three-year ministry with Jesus going to Jerusalem for three different Passover feasts. And on the third one, you know what happened. They crucified him and they buried him. And we'll celebrate what happened on Easter Sunday morning. Can I get an amen for the resurrection? Okay. All right, so let, let's kind of keep going just here for a moment. In the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, here's another difference, very important difference if you ask me. Jesus clears out the temple courts towards the end of his ministry, okay? It's at the end of his ministry, Mark 1, Matthew 21, Luke 19. But remember, they're talking about it in terms of a one-year deal. In John's gospel, Jesus clears out the temple early on in his ministry as early as John chapter 2. Now, here's why that's important. Most scholars believe, and as I've studied it, I definitely believe the pivotal event that led Jesus to die, the unparalleled pivotal event. From this moment forward, he was a dead man walking when he walked into the temple that day and said, you are turning my father's house into a den of robbers. You remember what he did? Remember what he did? He took out whips, cords, and he started running the money changers out. Remember that? Some of you don't, some of you've never had an image of Jesus like that. You only have an image of Jesus, you know, the, the flowing brown hair. <laughs> the shepherd that you saw on a stained glass window when you were a child. The shepherd holding the wee little lamb. And Jesus is just a cute little, soft, little, fuzzy little pal that I stick in my pocket and I pull out him whenever I need him. No, no, no. You need to go get you some of Jesus walking up in the temple and running some people out and saying, how dare you turn my father's house into a den of robbers? It wasn't just Jesus on a bad day. It wasn't like he just didn't have his coffee. <laughs> Jesus was like full of righteous indignation. 
and he runs them out. And, and I believe, I believe there's no doubt about this, that from that moment forward, he was a dead man walking. They marked him. And they kept their eye on him, and they were going to kill Jesus. The only surprise is they thought that killing him would put him down forever. They didn't know that he would raise to new life forever and ever and ever. So there's a difference in the Gospels. Now, here's why this is important. Some of you are sitting there right now, and you're going, Yep, I knew it. You can't trust the Bible. They are, they're telling different stories. See, you are, and, 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 and I would say, dear sir, dear ma'am, I completely disagree with you. If, have you ever thought about this? If Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all identical and all of the details were exactly the same, I don't know what you would surmise from that, but I know what I would. I would conclude that those cats got in an upper room somewhere and they all wrote the story together that it was some sort of ploy, if you will. It was some sort of prearranged creation of this thing called Christianity. No, 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 no. The beauty of a fourfold gospel is that gospel writers, and the New Testament in general, gospel writers tell different details along the way, but they all tell of one consistent thread, and that is a man by the name of Jesus was born of a virgin, gave life to us, taught us how to live, ultimately was killed, ultimately was dead, placed in a tomb, and the Father raised him to new life. The entire Bible points to Jesus, and the fact that people tell different, different versions of that or different angles of that, I believe actually brings validity to the credibility of this book that we call the Bible. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be pulling one book off the bookshelf and we're going to be studying the gospel of John throughout this series. And the very first passage that we're going to look at, if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, go ahead and open them, is John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I read it earlier. I intentionally left it off the screens. Now I want to unpack a few verses, tell you a little bit about my story, and then we're going to move on as we just kind of crack this series open today. The first part of the Gospels are also very, very different. Okay, Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus and then a birth narrative. Luke, well, you know how Luke starts. Luke starts with the most popular Christmas story that we read year after year after year. In Luke chapter 2, we read of the Christmas story. Charlie Brown, if you will. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> In Mark, interestingly enough, Mark starts with John the Baptist, or as I like to call him, John the Baptizer. And then, bam, picks up with Jesus being tested in the wilderness. John starts completely different. And John's gospel is completely different. Write this down in your notes somewhere. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very much concerned with a detail-oriented presentation of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very detailed-oriented. That's the synoptics. John, on the other hand, has another purpose in mind. John is later, remember? John has read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John knows that we already have a more detailed telling of the gospel. John is trying to help the church, which is why it's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It's the first book I ever read in the Bible. John is trying to make sure we get our theology right. John is making sure we have a robust, well-thought-out, developed theology so that we can think right about God. And he wastes no time with it. John chapter 1, 1 through 14, he starts to unpack this poetic masterpiece introducing Jesus to us. How many of you have given a formal introduction before? You, you've like introduced somebody? Any of you? Any of you? Come on. Yeah, a lot of hands popping up. What do you do when you give an introduction of somebody? You, you, you tell the most important stuff, right? You want to get it out there. You, you hear me do that when I introduce speakers up here. Now, for John to introduce Jesus to us, he does something fascinating. He reaches all the way back to Genesis 1. 
First book of the Bible, Genesis 1. And he juxtaposes, if you will, Genesis 1 and John 1. And look at the claims, the, 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 the breathtaking claims of who this Jesus is. I'm going to start in Genesis 1. Why don't you read it out loud with me? Ready? Like it's the word of the Lord, strong at all of our campuses. Ready? Go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis begins in the beginning. John 1, maybe you've never noticed this. In the beginning was the Word. Was the what? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In the beginning was the what? Word. John, again, a theological preposition that he's making to us. John is making sure we understand that Jesus didn't just roll up on the scene 2,000 years ago. John wants you to understand that when you think about Jesus, if you start only 2,000 years ago, you are missing the most important thing about Jesus. And the reason this is important is that the Trinity is at stake. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if God is anything, come on, God is eternal. Amen? And therefore, if Jesus is going to be God, which the church clearly teaches, I firmly believe he was fully God, fully man. If Jesus was fully God, he was in the beginning. John is helping us understand the pre-existent nature of Jesus Christ. And since Jesus was having communion with the Father and the Son... As far back as, as our minds can even imagine, infinity passed, and Jesus will be alive and well with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Infinity future is as far into the future as our minds can imagine. Since Jesus was from the beginning, Jesus was involved in the creation itself. When the world was made, check it out. The stars and the galaxies and the moon and the sun, even though Jesus came 2,000 years ago in the flesh, Jesus was all involved in the creation. When Moses, come on, we can, we can go further, we can get further into the Old Testament. When Moses lifted the staff, remember? Lifted the staff. Even though Jesus had not even come to planet Earth yet, Jesus was involved with the Father and the Spirit causing the waters to part. Remember that story? And when God chose to impregnate a virgin 2,000 years ago and bring forth Jesus, even Jesus was involved in that. He was part of it all. Read Colossians 1 later. We're not going to look at it now, but go read Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Jesus was involved in it all. He was not just a phenomenon that took, took place 2,000 years ago. He's always existed. Praise his holy name. He's always been in communion and fellowship, co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Holy Spirit. You might say tri-equal with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not only was he in the beginning, did you catch this? In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word. The Word, we'll look at this a little bit more next week. The Word dwelt among us. Remember that? Dwelt among us. Full of what, church? Full of what? Come on, come on. Full of what? Grace and truth. John 1.14. The Word dwelt among us. Full of grace and truth. I can't tell you that I thought about this in a very, you know, um, conscientious way, or I can't, I can't take you back to the day that, that 
I started to think about the vision in this way, the vision of our church, which is what? Reach, teach, release. Say it again. Reach, teach, and release. But here's what I, I believe as I've kind of wrote this book and kind of been thinking about this message today. I believe way back in September and October of 1988 when I was a wrecked soul in a jail cell. I believe that it was right then and there that God started to plant within me an utmost respect, an utmost appreciation, an utmost submission, if you will, to the authority of God's word. Because if you think about it, the very first words of scripture I ever read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And so I'm reading this and I'm learning at a very early age that Jesus is the word of God. And I don't know if you ever thought of this before. We talked about creation earlier, Genesis 1. How did God create things in the beginning in Genesis? It's not a trick question. How, how did he do it? You got it. He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be land. Bam. Let there be waters. Remember that? Bam. Let there be moon. Star. Bam. People say, you believe, you believe in the Big Bang Theory? I'm about to step out there today. Here we go. I'm not anti-science. I'm not anti-science. I, I, I was a pharmacy major. But I do believe in the Big Bang Theory. I believe God spoke it. Bang! And it happened. Now you say, well, what, 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 what about evolution? And then, hey, the bam and our time, a year according to us is different than a year with God. Timing, timing is, we, when we try to force timelines on God, we are missing the point. But I believe there is a creator and the creator spoke things into existence. And John then says, oh yeah, and by the way, by the way, Jesus is the word, which is why... I will never stop challenging you and encouraging you to read this book. It is the best book you will ever read. It is unlike any other book. And some of us just treat it like bathroom literature. This is the word of the Lord. And I will always keep asking you and pleading with you and begging you to read scripture. Recently heard of a young boy who said to his dad, hey dad, I figured out what the Bible means. And what would you say if your son said that to you? His dad said, well, good. Why don't you tell me? The boy was obviously smart. He had taken the word Bible, B-I-B-L, and formed an acrostic. And he said, hey, dad, it means basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> That's good. That boy's going places, church. But I believe a Bible, and this one's, this one's kind of falling apart. Look at there. I believe a Bible that's falling apart is usually owned by someone's life who is not. This book is the treasures of life. This book will teach you how to live your life. This book, this is why teaches in our vision, reach, teach, and release. Now let's keep going just a few more verses and then I wanna show you a part of my story. So John quotes Genesis 1, 1 and 2, if you will. Then look at what he does when he gets to verse 3. Back to Genesis, if you will. And you read the last one so well. Come on, all of us together. Go. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Genesis 1, verse 3. Now watch this. John, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, throughout this series, as we study the Gospel of John, this is how John is different from the synoptics as well. The Gospel of John has the I am sayings, the I am. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus will say, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm the bread of life. He'll say, I am the light of the world. 
And it's this very first moment where we start to see, not only is Jesus the word made flesh who dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Don't miss next week, I'm gonna be be talking about that grace and truth and then we're gonna go right into the life of the party. Not only is Jesus the word made flesh, Jesus is the light of the world. Which means that if you have any areas in your life that that have darkness permeating them, if you have any areas of your life in which shadows seem to be most prevalent, God, if you will let God, wants to come in on a regular basis and illuminate those areas of your life. Or maybe you're like me, your whole life was dark, right? God wants to come in, in and through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to shine light in your life. Now, here's what you need to know. To allow that to happen, though, you have to, you have to pull off the bushel, if you will, and you have to let your life, your struggles, your hardships, maybe your sins, you have to let them be, here's a key word, exposed to the light. Jesus said, this is, not, this is not John. Jesus says in Matthew, no one lights a light. He says this in the Sermon on the Mount. No one lights a light and puts a bushel over it. Remember that passage? He says, instead, you take the bushel off or the cover off and you let the light be exposed. You let the light shine. So the question I would have for you today is what areas of your life do you need the light of God to shine in on? What, what, what areas? Sexual, relational, financial, addictions, brokenness, feelings of, feelings of worthlessness, like we talked about earlier. Hey, you need to know this. God doesn't make junk. And people might have told you your whole life, hey, you you don't measure up or or you're worthless or you're just a pile of junk. I know I used to hear that a lot as a kid. You're never going to amount to anything. You're just a worthless pile of stuff. They didn't say junk. You know, you're just a worthless pile, blah, blah, blah. And listen, if you've been told those things and maybe you start to tell yourself those lies, you need to know God makes no junk. And God made you and he loves you. And it was in the deepest, darkest point of my life when I felt worthless when I felt shame, when I felt brokenness, when I felt hollowness in my soul, when I felt evil, my life had turned evil. It was in that moment that I read the Bible for the first time and the light of God, Jesus himself, came into a dark jail cell and gave me hope. Instead of trying to tell you about it, Why don't I take you there? Why don't you come on a journey with me to Sumter, South Carolina? At the age of 17, my life flashed before my eyes and I almost died at a restaurant called Burger King. So I'm pretty fired up to be able to welcome you to Sumter, South Carolina, my hometown. Today, I get to bring you along on the very first part of my life crumbling at a very young age. Uh, It started at the age of 11, believe it or not. I'm gonna take you on a little journey today so that you can experience what happened to me on September 23rd, 1988. I had been up for about 48 hours, no sleep, no food that I can recall, uh, strung out on multiple forms of crack cocaine and, and cocaine itself. I don't remember everything that I'm about to walk you through, but I pulled into this Burger King parking lot, into a parking spot over here. And I'm not even sure why I went into the bathroom stall, but I did so and I locked myself into the stall, took another hit of cocaine. My world started spinning, my head was spinning. I was overdosing and I 
fell down on the floor in the bathroom stall. And I don't know how long I laid there, but the next thing I remember is getting into my car right here and I cranked it up, threw the car in reverse and I must not have backed out too far or far enough. And if you look at that elderly person there, that, that'll make a little more sense. I think it's only God that would have that person here because what I did on that day was I hit an elderly couple right about here. Now I hit their car, I threw the car back in reverse, I came out into Broad Street again, crossed the center line, almost had an accident here, and came down to this next street light, which is Westmart Boulevard. I must have ran a red light or something, but I had a head-on collision right here in the middle of this intersection. The condition of my Mustang was pretty bad by this point in time, but I was able to, again, throw it in reverse, back up, crossed over the center line, almost had a head-on collision here. And the whole time I'm, I'm driving, my head is spinning, my heart is feeling like it's going to explode out of my chest. I'm going in and out of consciousness. I cross over again and I get in a head-on collision with a person right here in the middle of Westmark Boulevard. I tried to leave the scene of another accident and I, I could not go anywhere. The Mustang would not drive anymore. I look up and cops are coming this way with their lights on, obviously responding to the two hit and runs that they had already heard about. They handcuffed me. They put me in the back of their police car. And I don't know how much time passed. I remember every now and then looking up and seeing the Mustang and seeing them take out bags of marijuana and bags of cocaine, bags of drug paraphernalia on the hood of my car. After a while that I decided I couldn't stay in the back of that car anymore and I had handcuffs on, so I, I construed my body enough to get up and I lifted up the lock and I got out of the police car and for a little ways, I started running down Westmark Boulevard. I started falling face down in the middle of the road and they start to chase me and so I then cut across this field. I jump a fence with handcuffs on. I made it over the fence, but I face planted again on the other side of the fence. And that's about where the officers grabbed me, roughed me up a little bit more this time, put me in the back of the police car and this time they put this big burly guy beside me so I wasn't going to run again. Just wrecked, just broken, just how embarrassing, how humiliating for my family, how, how sad to see a kid that young, high school dropout, had been arrested six times in a seven year period and my life was crashing down. And they hauled me off to the Sumter County Correctional Center. So this place is pretty run down, condemned, dilapidated. And so if I remember correctly, you got the first cell that starts about right here. Second cell, a small cell, third cell, and this, this was the cell that I was in. Again, if I remember correctly, it seems to be the third one down. And it is right in there where I was thrust down to my knees in desperation and cried out with Chaplain Jones and prayed a prayer with him. Something to the effect, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to be my savior. And so I thank you for dying on a cross for me. I thank you for shedding your blood. I remember him having me pray something like this. Lord Jesus, come into my life today. Forgive me of my sin and help me follow you all the days of my life and it was right in there that that God started to come in by the power of the Holy Spirit and started to redeem this wrecked prodigal. 
and started to speak to me and teach me through his word, which is why I'm so thankful and committed to the word of God. You might also be wondering what, what this is. I came back here about 10 years ago. One of the officers gave me these keys. These were the keys that the officers would wear on their waist and you would hear them coming and you knew you were either in trouble or two, the food was coming or three, you were about to get out of the jail cell and uh, getting out of the cell was always the highlight of the day. In fact, let me walk you down here where we would actually get out. You could get out for one hour. This was the field over here, a lot's changed. It looks like there's actually automobiles back here now. You can still see the, the razor sharp fence up top to keep you from trying to escape. Wow, they've actually turned this place into a junkyard. You know, which, which reminds me, on September 23rd, when they threw me in that cop car for the last time, they brought me here, but they took my 1968 pearl white Mustang and they took it to a local junkyard. I know that because I found out later. It was, it was a piece of junk. You look back at a picture of that car and you wonder how in the world did any human being walk away from that car. And as I look at these cars, I'm reminded that they took the Mustang to a junkyard and they brought the prodigal, this old boy, to another place that many people would actually suggest is a junkyard for human beings. And when I first landed here, I felt like a bunch of junk. I felt like I had squandered my life away. I felt like I had embarrassed my family. I had been humiliated. I was in the newspaper once again, and I felt like a piece of junk. But I'm here to let you know that what Chaplain Jones taught me through the word is that God doesn't make any junk. And God started to slowly but surely rebuild, remodel, reshape, refashion a person who had wrecked his life and God started to put on display a trophy of God's grace. I still have a long way to go, but here's what I learned. God doesn't make any junk and God can take us wherever we are. He can take the destructive ashes of our lives and he can build something beautiful. He can turn them into glorious ruins, if you will, and he can use that person just like he can use you. And so I'm grateful to God today. I give him all the glory. I give him all the honor. I give him all the praise. Uh, I deserve none of it. Without God, I am nothing. I have already shown what I can do with my life without God. When you bring God into the equation, he can take what might seem like a pile of junk or experiences that seem like junk or relationships, and he can start to put it all back together. And he can use us to continue to introduce more and more people to a gracious God who can redeem and restore and renew a bunch of wretches like me and maybe like you. So more than anything today, I just wanted to kind of dip our toe into it. And I want to invite you on a journey with me. Eight weeks, digging into one book of the Bible, hopefully maybe like you've never dug into one before. I want, I want you to be a John scholar when it's all said and done. I want you to know and have a robust, faithful theology of who and what Jesus is. So before you come back next week, read John 1 and John 2 in the Bible and read the first two chapters of the book. 
But before we dismiss today, after showing you something like that and sharing a little bit of my testimony, and each week there'll be a little bit more, but it would be so remiss of me if I didn't give some of you a chance to give your life to Christ. And I realize, and I'm not talking like, I know sometimes we do this and hands pop up all over the place. I'm not talking about rededications. I'm talking about like genuine, like I'm gonna receive the gospel today. I'm talking about authentically the person who is sitting here or at a campus or Monday night or online or whatever, and you feel like there's dark areas of your life. You just need the light of the gospel to come in. You, you, you realize, hey, I don't know that I've ever really received the gospel. I, I don't know if I died today, if I got hit by the proverbial bus, you know, would I spend eternity in heaven or would I spend eternity in hell? I don't know. And if you've never had a moment, a defining moment where you knew that you knew that you knew, I am a saved child of God. I have received and I believe. And you're like, where do you get that language from? We read it earlier, but you might not have picked up on it. Check it out. Yet to all who did, what? To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but what church? Born of God. And you're like, I've heard that language, but that doesn't really sound like what I've heard. What you've heard is just a few chapters later, we'll look at when we get to chapter three, you've heard of Jesus talking to Nicodemus, remember? Nicodemus comes to him, Nick at night. Nick comes in the, in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, comes to Jesus. He doesn't want everybody to know. So Nick busts up on the scene at night, old Nick, and asks Jesus, and Jesus says, unless you are born again. It's in that same chapter where Jesus says, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, for he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Have you ever received him? Is there something inside of you right here, right now? And you're like, I need some hope. I'm dead in my sin. I'm dead in brokenness. I'm dead in darkness. What you need to do is you need to receive the gospel. You're like, what's that? The gospel is this, that God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus. And that Jesus came, not only that you might have an example to follow, but Jesus did something you could not do and I couldn't do. Jesus died on a cross to pay a sin debt, yours and mine included, because we couldn't. And we had to have our sins forgiven to be with the holy God in heaven forever. So to receive the gospel is just to receive a gift. It's a gift. You can't do anything to earn it. Listen, you can't do anything that will make God love you more than he already loves you. And conversely so, you can't do anything that will make God love you any less. He loves you so much that he sent his son. And you believe in him. In Benji, no. In New Hope Church, no, you believe in his name and his name is Jesus. Next week, we're gonna talk about grace and truth and the life of the party. Grace has a name and his name is Jesus. Truth has a name and his name is Jesus. And the way that you know that you know that you're a saved child born not of natural descent, but born of the most high God. The way you know you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life, you're like, where you get that from? That's also John. That's just in the book of Revelation. The way you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life forever. And you know that your sin is gone, it's cleansed, it's over. And you know that your eternity is heaven forever. The way you know is you receive the gospel good news and you believe in the one and only name 
of Jesus Christ. And you're like, well, I'm not, I don't fully understand. I want to tell you something. You, need, you probably already know this because you're smart. On October 23rd, 1988, I didn't fully understand it either. That's why you call it faith. I just had a chaplain invite me to get down on my knees in a small little jail cell. And he got down on his knees right beside me, and we put our elbows up on a steel bed that was right beside a steel toilet that had a steel sink on top of it. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Get you some of that. Imagine living out of a sink on top of a toilet. That's raunchy. But he said, do you want to become a Christian? And I said, yes. Didn't know what it fully meant. And he said, well, then why don't you pray this prayer after me? And all I know is he said a prayer, and I said a prayer after him. And Jesus, the word, the light of the world, came in and changed my life. And he'll do the very same for you. So why don't you let me lead you as Chaplain Jones led me. Let's pray together. All heads bowed, eyes closed. God, I thank you that I'm surrounded by so many believers. God, they already know that they know and they're saved and they're redeemed. And God, they're excited about digging into this gospel and learning John so deeply and applying it. But God, how remiss would it be on this first Sunday to just move on without inviting every single person to get on the journey with us? And I'm talking about the spiritual journey. I'm talking about being saved. I'm talking about being born again. So if you're here today and you desire that, you're here today and you need the light of God to come in and illuminate some dark areas, I wanna invite you as Chaplain Jones invited me just to pray a simple prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. So why don't you pray this? Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I am a sinner, and I need you to be my Savior. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, send the Holy Spirit into my life and help me follow you all the days of my life. And when my days are done, Lord God, receive me into heaven with you forever. And until then, Lord, help me love you, serve you, and follow you, Lord Jesus. For I pray it in your name, the mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. So if you just prayed that, Two things. One, welcome to the family of God. <laughs> welcome to the family of God. And I don't have to do the second thing because the second thing was our church wants to let you know how we feel about that. Church, you're amazing as always. Our ushers are going to come forward in just a moment. And we're going to sing a final song. Try not to leave. Let's not squelch the Spirit of God here. It's a great song and it's a perfect one. But let me say this real quickly. If you just prayed to receive Christ, I want to send you a gift. And here's what the gift is during this series. I want to send you a book, The Gospel of John. 
And so it'll be our gift to you. But if you receive Christ, fill out your Connect card. It's in the chair right in front of you. Just fill it out. Make sure we can read your address and all of that. And on the back side, there's a place for you to mark. I just received Christ. If you will mark that, I will drop in the mail to you this week a Gospel of John book. And that way you can read that right alongside the Wrecked and Redeemed book. And we'll uh, look forward to growing with you in the days and weeks ahead. So as our ushers get ready to come in just a moment, the band's going to come out and we're going to sing, how appropriately so, a song that is titled Broken Vessels, but it's actually the Amazing Grace song just done in a different, powerful, powerful way. Hey, thanks for being in church today. Go read John 1 and 2 this week. Read chapter 1 and 2 in the book, and I'll see you right back here next Sunday. Love you, church.